Welcome to Connected Philanthropy. In today's episode, five myths about fundraising are dispelled by our guest, Barbara O'Reilly. Barbara has three decades of fundraising experience at major nonprofit organizations, including Harvard, Oxford, and American Red Cross. She also became a certified fundraising executive in 2015 and is a past president of the Association of Fundraising Professionals. So without further ado, here's Barbara. What I want to be able to do today is share with you um, five myths that I keep hearing over and over again, uh, whether it's in conversations at conferences or in meetings with clients or just I see in some of our publications or the social media conversations. Uh, and I want to dispel them for you. Um, this is uh, we have the benefit of having so much um, research and studies and really good trends analysis now that are at our fingertips that are easy to access. So there are some ways that we can dispel misconceptions uh, and rethink how we view some of these things. Now, there are many more myths than five, of course, but these are the five that I, I keep hearing over and over again. And I thought this is a good starting point to help us all rethink um, our, our perceptions about fundraising. Okay, uh, so myth number one, most donations come from foundations and corporations. This is definitely not true. The average um, estimated revenue uh, in philanthropic uh, giving has been has continued to grow, certainly since the last uh, recession in 2008-9. But what's interesting is the how the money breaks down. Individual giving is comprising about 67% of that. Um, bequests, which is also from individuals, about 9% of that. Foundations, interestingly, about half of that generally is coming from family foundations. Uh, now, one slight disclaimer is that the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is considered a family foundation. So that number is a little bit skewed, but uh, on average, about, about half of that is coming from individuals. So uh, individual piece of the pie, which is certainly the largest bequest, and then about half of that, we're talking almost about 89, 90%, uh, roughly, do my math correctly, is coming from individuals of some sort. The, the part, the piece of the pie that surprises everyone is corporations. And if you look, gee, it's just even at the numbers, the amount that was given in bequests is double the amount that was given in, in, from corporations last year. So just let that set, sit with you for a second. The amount that was given by individuals who have left nonprofits in their estate plans was double what corporations gave from their for, from their profits uh, last year. So this number, in fact, the percentage of the pie, that 4% is actually decreased from, I think, 2020 and maybe probably even 2019. It has always been about five, six, maybe a little, maybe, maybe 7%, but really never more than that. And it has actually decreased. Uh, we saw this starting to change with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act when it went into effect in 2018. Uh, and, you know, yes, we saw um, the, the amount of money that the corporations gave in 2021 increased over the previous year or two. The, the percentage is still pretty small. So when you are getting pressure, either you're pressuring yourself or you're getting pressure from your senior leaders or board to be going after more corporate money, remind your remind everybody about this, what we're seeing in terms of national trends. 
corporations are no longer incentivized to give out of their um, uh, for, uh, give philanthropically. Usually, would be coming from their profits, uh, and many of them will be claiming that they have that their profits have shrunk over the last couple of years. When we know certainly there are some sectors or some uh, business lines that have been definitely seeing a boom. So the reality is, though, that companies. Um, are across the board thinking of rethinking how they're doing their philanthropy. They're also really thinking about how they measure that impact of their gifts and their grants and their sponsorships. So it might actually end up being way too much effort for you for maybe no no gift or a very small gift. So think about um, where you might diversify uh, those sources and just recognize that just generally across the country, individuals in some way, shape, or form, whether they're living, whether through their estate plans or whether through some family uh, family foundations, they're, they are tending to give much more than that. Okay, so myth number two, everyone might be your donor if only they knew about you. Um, this is uh, the, the sort of, if only we could send out more social media posts, if only we could send out more emails, if only so-and-so and so-and-so and such and such company foundation, fill in the blank, knew about us, of course, they would give to us. Why do you think uh, donors give? The reason why I'm starting with this to dispel this myth is because just because you exist as a nonprofit doesn't mean everyone's going to give to you and everyone is your donor or ideal donor or potential donor. Because when we look at the research that has been done about donor motivations, what drives donors to give. And we have a lot of research now, whether it's this this study that was done by U.S. Trust, which is now Bank of America's um, high net worth philanthropy, or it's Penelope Burke's two, two and a half decades worth of um, donors surveys and studies, or many other reports that have been uh, have been done about donor motivations and, and give and reasons for giving. Mission and impact are the two words that I see consistently across all of these reports and studies. There has to be a connection to the mission. What's interesting, complete aside, I'm going to geek out a little bit, but uh, there has been some studies that have been done around donors who make uh, who are thinking about their estate plans. There's a lot of neuroscience that goes into how we're how giving and volunteering affects us in terms of our brains. And what's interesting is that the parts of the brain that light up when we're thinking about our estate plans are the parts of the brains that are around um, how we how we how we view ourselves and what's the story that we tell ourselves about our life. Um, and that's basically, in a nutshell, the two parts of the brains that fire off. And so, in a lot of ways, giving is about our connection to whatever the cause is and we want to make a difference and we we are choosing the organization that is going to have the, what we perceive as the best impact in that mission, in that cause. So those two there are what we have to remember when we are trying to identify who our potential donors are, because it isn't going to be everybody. Not everyone's going to be supporting uh, animal charities. Not everyone's going to be supporting cancer organizations. Not everybody's going to be supporting human services or educational organizations or the arts or fill in the blank. So we want to remember that our donors are thinking about what drives them. They're looking to the organizations that have that best potential. And that's that's how those are the lenses through which they are making their giving decisions. All of these other um, aspects are really interesting to note, and especially 
for the bit, the bit at the end where the tax benefit or that they were asked. Um, because you think about your own giving habits or think about the donors who, you, who whom you've gotten to know. Sometimes they aren't asked. They are just compelled by their own philanthropic drivers that they decide to make a gift. Uh, completely unasked. They're self-soliciting. So that piece of it is probably, yes, we of course want to ask and we want to make a regular cadence of asking and thanking and reporting, but it's always the two most important drivers um, are that mission and the impact. So if we know that giving and volunteering have such a powerful effect on us and literally changes the chemistry of our brains, then why do donors stop? Was it, it's vague. It's about programs that are uninteresting for that person. It's boring. It's maybe that the organization has the incorrect information. It's not suited to who they are. It isn't personalized. And so any one of these has an influence on whether that donor is going to pay attention to your communications. So think about the reason the mission has to be aligned with them. And they has to be, they have to know that there's an impact that's going to happen because of their gift of any amount. So if what they receive back from the organization they support is not showing impact, it's not talking about uh, the, the dreams and the vision and the, the, the progress towards solving whatever the problem is, they're going to tune out. They're going to just find it not interesting to them. We also know, though, that um, when we can ask donors, how do they like to uh, hear from the organization? What do they want to learn more about? Um, it, what times of year are the best for them to receive information from the organization? That changes the dynamic a little bit because it 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 now says, I want to send you information, but I want to make sure it's the information that you're interested in. Tell me more. Do you want to receive it electronically? Do you want to receive it by print? Uh, would you like a phone call every once in a while to hear more about how our work, your, your work, your gift is being put into action? Um, those just slight changes in how we communicate in a two-way uh, format uh, will make a world of difference. Now, having said that, I recognize that the tech capabilities um, are going to be wildly uh, across the, the board. So you have to do what's best for your capacities, but where you can try to personalize as much as possible, try to get to know who those donors are, because they've already now signaled that they, they believe in your mission and they believe in your organization. And you want to be able to report back so that you're answering that question about impact. Did my gift make a difference? Okay. So are people really giving now? And the answer is yes and no. We're still seeing, um, uh, you know, despite the Giving USA report showing record numbers, uh, record amount for $484 billion, uh, which is either a 4% increase over 21, or if you adjust for inflation, it's pretty flat. It's a, like a 0.7 or something increase. So yeah, they're still showing up more than we ever expected. But um, individual giving as a whole has remained at about 2% of our GDP for, I think, the last two decades, easily. More of concern is that the number of donors and volunteers is declining, and that has declined by about 20% or so, 26% over the last um, two decades. So that is the number. That's the, the data point that you all want to be paying attention to. Um, you want to be looking at your donor files. You want to be looking at your volunteer core. Are they are they staying? So this ties back to donor retention, um, which uh, is is a whole different conversation. But 
the number of donors collectively has been declining and we're we we need to make sure we we don't see that at a at a sort of a catastrophic level where um philanthropy becomes becomes in crisis so pay attention to your own numbers and understand that donors are going to be doing different things, right? There, we see the rise of crowdfunding. We see um, how so many are now supporting GoFundMe um, campaigns. Uh, they're giving more directly to um, to causes and people because that's where they feel like their gift might have more impact. So we want to be paying attention to that. Mega gifts are definitely on the rise, and they have been on the rise for a number of years now. We're they're to the point where I think there's a little bit of um, we get a little bit of story starry eyed distraction. Um, we're all hoping that we, our organizations are going to be the next recipients of Mackenzie Scott's gifts, um, but we also we sometimes can't we all we can never lose sight of who are already don donating to us. Who are the donors who have been sticking by us year over year? Yes, pay attention to those larger gifts, um, but 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 um, but till the soil, so to speak, uh, of what you of the ground that you're standing on. Make sure that you're attending to your donors because some of your larger donors are going. Going to be in your pool now. They're going to be giving probably much lower than that you would ever pop to the surface. And so you want to make sure that you are stewarding them and building those engagements so they feel more inclined to stick around. Yes, economic uncertainty. We are seeing record uh, levels of inflation. We're forecasting, Jamie Dimon of uh, Goldman Sachs is forecasting a recession to start sometime in 2023. Despite all of this, and despite the fact that the world may feel on fire, do not stop fundraising. Trust your donors. Let them make the decision that they are that they will make a gift to you or not, or what level they will make a gift. So keep your fundraising plans going, uh, because it is much harder to stop and start and stop and start. You will lose donors, um, guaranteed. So keep your uh, keep your your nose on your plans uh, and keep engaging with your audience. We, because we know that donors over the last two years, when everything seemed like it was uh, in, uh, another moment of now what, now what, every single week or day or month, giving in 2021 was was definitely high, um, higher amount-wise, um, but we know that they that people are giving through uh, Giving Tuesday, Giving Tuesday that we're all gearing up for. Last year was raised $2.7 billion. It has, over the last 10 years, has really catapulted uh, in terms of inspiring people around the world to participate in some way in philanthropy. Uh, Giving Tuesday, total aside, is not for everybody, though. So uh, just manage your expectations of how you spend your limited bandwidth. Um, but this is another way that people are expecting to be reminded to, to be giving, and they are continuing to show up, even in 2020, when Giving Tuesday now was started in May of 2020, as that sort of um, giving day to try to uh, bolster even more support for COVID-related causes, that I think raised half a billion dollars in May, which again, out of the normal cycle. And in, on top of all the other philanthropy that we were seeing just accrue in such a short period of time when the pandemic started. We also saw um, that crypto has been now, aside from um, the, the recent crash of uh, FTX, we know that crypto has been an increasing way of people um, uh, making charitable contributions. I will only leave this here. This could be a completely different conversation. I will leave this here just to say that as we saw in, say, 13, 14 years ago, 
donor advised funds were starting to hit the market. People were curious about what were these DAFs, what these things called DAFs, donor advised funds. What do we do? How do they function? How do we how do we fundraise around them? How do we communicate and get to know the people who hold DAFs? We're kind of in that same space, I feel like, with crypto because we it, it feels for many of us, um, you know, there's there's bitcoins, there's sort of uh, crypto money, and then there's fiat money, which they call like regular U.S. dollar, you know, regular dollars um, or whatever your currency is. And but yet there are 21 million in the U.S. who are crypto owners. The number globally is significantly more. But these donors, these holders, are also charitable. And if you look at um, uh, nearly half, about half of those crypto holders donated a thousand or more in 2021 through crypto. That's these numbers are worth paying attention to. Uh, Fidelity also, again, talk about sort of juxtaposition of different audiences. Fidelity reported that they had about 300 million in co- contributed um, in contributions to donor advised funds from with with crypto. So, kind of feels a little bit um, um, anachronous to have. A donor advised fund holder who also owns crypto because they're comp- they they feel like different people, different personas, uh, and they are in a lot of ways. But this is a new way that this or Venmo or PayPal or um, adjusted stocks have been for a long time. These are ways that donors are looking to give. So we need to be recognizing that um, our that our trends are uh, are in this direction, and then retention. So. We have been tracking as best as we can in the sector, how what's the percentage of donors who are giving year over year? And this number has been declining, especially over the last couple of years. I think we've seen a, 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 a down to, if it's 43%, sometimes it goes down to 42, 41%. Um, it has been declining. So we have to know, pay attention to the fact that on average, nonprofits across the sector uh, are losing om- almost 60% of their donors each and every year. And for first-time donors, um, that number is even worse. It's about 20%. So everything we have to think about uh, in our donor communications has to be focused on how do we keep those donors engaged, going back to why donors give, uh, why they stop giving. Uh, other trends that we've been seeing is that uh, new do- new donors of 500 or more were likely were more likely to be retained. Interesting, right? Because if you think about their new donors are probably self-soliciting, and there there's something about that cause that's prompting them to make a larger than uh, a larger gift than a the sort of a, a sort of token. I'm going to make you write a $25 check, right? Or at least I still write checks, but make a $25 gift. So. Um, that's worth paying attention to. Who are those new donors who are coming through your door? Donors under $500 um, have been shrinking. And this is sort of part of the, the uh, what I was referencing before, that you know those smaller donors, the donors who um, have, are, would you typically be defined as your mid-level donors, they have been starting to disappear since about 2018 when the Tax Cut and Jobs Act went into effect. Coincidentally, we also started seeing more and more reports of mega gifts. And so there might be a correlation between the two. It might just be um, that they are no longer able to itemize their, their deductions. And so we can't, we can no longer um, track that level of giving in the way that we used to. Regardless, all of this means that um, you really want to be paying attention to not just your setting your fundraising goals, but how, what are your metrics around donor retention? What are your metrics around um, average gift? 
pay attention to those and use those to guide how you engage and how you're measuring your progress because you could be hitting your revenue goals each and every year. You might even be exceeding your revenue goals, but if you're losing your donors and it becomes more churn, that's a lot of spent time uh, uh, when the when the met- when the the percentages the retention percentages are are not going to be in your favor. We as organizations want to talk about all these things on the left, who we are, what our values are, why we think the org- the donor should support us, or why we think we're different, all these things. The donor actually wants to hear all these other things, right? That what you're going to do with my my gift, what did I make the right decision to support you? Do you value me? Do you want to know what drives me, right? So it goes back to why donors stop giving, uh, that it's impersonal, it's boring, it doesn't really relate to them, all of these things. But ultimately, it's about how you've solved a problem together. Those donors up every level have been helping to move the needle in your mission and your vision. So think about these, the the sort of um, this comparison of how we, we have often been um, as cha- as charities and nonprofits been talking about our work, what we know donors want to hear, and find in your own organizations the balance between those two. Okay, so myth number three, digital and social media are most important, are most effective and most important. We're going to only spend our time on that. Hate to break it to you, but we live in a hyper-connected uh, 21st century world. And we are being bombarded all the time with lots of platforms, lots of uh, alerts, push notifications, text messages, everything, emails. Uh, and we saw this for sure com- t- change quite noticeably, frankly, in 2020. Online giving grew the most over the last two years uh, by about 21 to 32 percent. And online giving has 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 been historically over the last probably 10, 15, 20 years, been only about 20% of contributed revenue uh, of contributed gifts as far as we can track. But it grew quite quite noticeably over the last two years because why? Everybody was sort of stuck at home, stuck on their devices. Mail had sort of stopped. So people started to turn to their platforms, social media platforms, online, uh, websites, so forth, uh, and started making gifts that way. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way people want to be communicated with on a regular basis. How they give does not indicate their communication preference. So we want to really understand, uh, going back to those questions I suggested, ask those donors, how do you want to hear from us? Um, I know personally, I prefer print pieces because my inboxes are a, a complete hot mess. And so if I get an email, I might or might not read it, frankly. Uh, I might, depending on the day, just do a whole, in my personal email, I might just do a whole massive select all and delete because I just won't ever have time to read them. And that's what we're feeling with our own, with our own donors. Um, we payment options I've talked about that, you know, pay in addition to crypto, PayPal, Venmo, QR codes, these are all ways that we're seeing uh donors. Uh, wanting to pay Apple Pay, can you can they make their gift because they're giving on their devices, and we're seeing trends that their people are giving more, uh, starting to give more on their devices, tablets, or phones than on their desktops. Um, not quite, not quite surpassing it yet, but it's starting to increase. Facebook for sure. Now over the six billion mark in Facebook fundraisers phenomenal. Uh, this is a way that people have been uh, using to catalyze and to do crowdfunding, to promote and advocate for organizations and causes that are important to them amongst their networks. 
deaths, we um, for sure we saw a huge surge. And again, these numbers are um, are uh, are variable because it depends on who's reporting them. But the number they're significant, a million plus deaths at least, at least 35, 34 billion in contributions. Uh, we saw this um, just escalate over the last couple of years, in part also because. Um, uh, Fidelity and Vanguard and Schwab all uh, released the minimum contributions to open a DAF. So part of that number, that million dollar, that million number, probably was that people now it felt it was more accessible to open a DAF uh, and wanted to use that as a, as a giving vehicle. So yet, despite all of these digital ways of payment and digital ways of giving and um, ways of communicating. Direct mail is definitely not dead. We know that donors are three times more likely to give online in response to a direct mail appeal that they get. Uh, so it is often the silent, uh, and, uh, silent and unsung hero of how we're raising our money. They, so somebody will get a, a print piece. It's tactile. They're feeling it. They're seeing it. They, there's a smell to the paper or the, the cardstock, whatever it is. Golly gee, it's something other than a bill or junk mail in their mailbox. Hooray, I'm going to open this up. They're going to take a look at it. And they might be reminded, oh, I think I saw something in my email about from this organization or gosh, okay, really, I'm inspired by what I read. I'm going to go online and make a gift because that's how I prefer to give. That's going to be the driver. And, and so the two together um, have been shown to really increase the the lift the lift response the lift rates. So direct mail alone about six percent response rate, but when you combine it with web and email, it lifts that response rate by about thirty by about thirty percent. Okay, so myth number four, we've got to just focus on our younger audiences. They're the future. They're the donors that we've got to get right now. Well, guess what? Not not the case right now. Uh, and in fact, it this has been regardless of whether it was the millennials or the now it's the Gen Zs. Um, at some point, it was the Gen Xers who were the younger audiences, but um, they the 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 younger audiences have not historically been um, the the donors or the potential donor audience that we should be spending our time on. Boomers are still uh, right now the ones that we want to be focusing on. Follow very closely now with Gen X. And millennials, um, Gen Zs, yes, but Gen Zs are also giving differently, uh, and so they are the ones I think who are going to drive the changes in giving giving uh, uh, vehicles. They're the ones who are driving crypto. They're the ones who are going to be driving that donor, the, the multi-channel, the the, um, the digital forms of payment, um, and they're also doing things differently in how they crowdsource how they're fit they're doing more on Facebook they're do, or probably not on Facebook but they're doing more through um uh, collaboration and they're thinking differently about the impacts of their gifts so this doesn't mean that you ignore completely your younger audiences not at all you want to be really building in that that um that cadence up for all of your donors and, and inactive donors and maybe even potential donors but it, where you focus your time uh, it needs to recognize who are the donors who are ready to give now and have the ability to give now. And then how do you engage those donors of the future? So those Gen Zs and whoever follow, whatever generation follows after them, they're, they're going to engage differently. They're going to maybe give up their time first. Uh, they, they're, they're going to be, you want to know how they want to be involved 
as volunteers, as donors, uh, what they expect back, because each of these generations also expects back very different things from the nonprofit. So some studies I've seen have shown that the matures actually give the nonprofits a wide range of, um, of space to make mistakes, to not have their stewardship plans in place, to not really report back. They're really less, um, less worried about that because they have grown up as philanthropists in an age when all of these um, multi-channel, all of these ways of communicating didn't really exist. So um, focus on all of your audiences, but don't do it to the exception of, or the exclusion of any one generation. Because they all, they're all going to give in some way. Uh, they're all going to have their own drivers um, along those, those personal uh, motivations, but it's going to be maybe recategorized or maybe coming uh, out and seen in different ways, depending on that generation. Okay, so myth number five. I've just prefaced by saying we're in record of inflation. We're go, we've gone through two years of a constant now what, uh, saying to each other and doing a sort of a spin and a pirouette with everything that we've had to face. Now we're facing the end of year, uh, record inflation, probably uh, a recession if Jamie Dimon is correct. Oh my gosh, we've been here before. This is definitely not the right time. We're just going to, this is not, we're going to hold. We're, we're not going to say anything because everything is going on. And there are two things I want to say. If, you, if the numbers that I've shared earlier um, tell you anything, uh, giving has never stopped. Even looking back over the last 60 years that the Giving Institute and Giving USA uh, have been tracking, um, we've seen moments of economic inflections, uh, whether it was the dot-com bubble burst, whether it was um, the, the, the um, uh, inflation and recession in the 70s and 80s, whether it was the Great Recession of 2008-9-10. Giving has more or less stayed steady, with the exception of the Great Recession of 2008-9-10. It dipped a bit, but it rebounded pretty quickly, and now we've been going record number record amounts year over year. Giving nev never stops. Um, so let your donors tell you how they want to give, when they want to give, if they will give. In um, in the early days of the pandemic, there were some um, sort some studies that were done, a, couple, a few different ones that I was tracking, and what they said was that the donors basically said that they will continue to give. They'll give to the organizations that are important to them, and they will give to the to those emerging needs uh, because they're because they know that their communities are hurting. And they were also weighing very seriously how much they're going to give. Well, they're, they're probably going to give more because they're adding different causes that were more urgent and time sensitive. So we have to just suspend our own worries about the moment and invite and continue to invite our donors to be part of our work and our results. So let them tell you no. Don't anticipate that they're going to say no. So keep asking, keep in, keep sharing the information. Let them um, say that whether this is a good time or not. If if we've seen anything over the last number of years, but certainly over the last two years, donors are stepping up in incredible ways. Uh, so if you are not asking your donors who are who have been giving to you during even the good old quieter days, 
um, you're, you're missing out and you're leaving money on the table and they'll probably go someplace else because they're still, they're going to be looking for who's going to be giving um, that impact. Who, who, where am I, where can I fit into that storyline of the cause that's important to me? So Cliff Notes, for those of you who remember Cliff Notes, um, uh, individuals uh, versus corporate and foundation, no, individuals are still the, the largest source of revenue. Everyone might be a donor. No, you're going to want to focus on those people who, and institutions and corporations who uh, align really best with your mission. And it isn't going to be everybody. And that is absolutely okay. Digital and social, we're only going to stick with that. Absolutely not. Multi channel is continuing to prove over and over again that um, it, it, that's the best way to keep the attention and try to get to where all the places our donors are. Focus on only younger donors? No, because we know that those who've got the disposable wealth or the disposable income to be able to make gifts are in starting Gen Xers, boomers, but you do still wanna find ways to keep your younger donors, your younger audiences engaged so that they can they will stay with you over time. And finally, it's not the right time to ask. Nope, you can't. You can't ever just turn fundraising on and off. And in fact, the organizations that have turned fundraising on and off over time have really been the ones that struggle the most to rebound when things uh, uh, start to boom again. So continue your asks, let them uh, let them make that decision and, um, and, and just stay connected to them, um, especially now. Mm -hmm.